Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Uh, I wonder what kind of week you've had. Um, Have you had some big events? The Netball World Cup has been on and you've all... You've all been watching it, uh, and you'll all be up at 2am uh, tonight, tomorrow morning, watching the final. At least that's what's happening in our household. Uh, England versus Australia. Um, so there's a lot of tension in our household at the moment. Um, but I wonder what you consider to be a big event in your life, or, or a big event in the world, or our nation. Uh, so it's a good opportunity for me to remind you this morning what a big deal this is that we do every Sunday morning. Uh, often so feels so ordinary, doesn't it? Um, coming along and all kinds of things have been going on in our week, but to come and hear God speak to us, uh, to come and be gathered as God's people, to call upon the God of the universe, to call him friend, um, to encourage one another, to be part of a mission to see more people become disciples of Jesus. These are extraordinary things, aren't they? This is a massively important thing that we're a part of, And can I say, if you're new with us uh, or you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's what you're looking in on today. That's what we'd love you to be part of here at Salt. Uh, That's our hope and prayer. We're actually part of something that has gone on for 2,000 years. Uh, That's where we're at this morning as we look at the book of Acts. What's happened? Jesus, the Son of God, a man came... Uh, who was God in the flesh, lived the perfect life, died on a cross, faced the judgment of God for us. Sin has been dealt with, rose to new life. Now death has been conquered. We can have an everlasting life. And this extraordinarily earth-shattering news now goes out to the ends of the earth. Uh, that's the story of Acts. That's where we are in the Bible. Uh, Luke is the author. He's a doctor. He's also the one who's written the biography of Jesus' life, Luke's Gospel. Uh, These are extraordinary things. We're two-thirds of the way in, so flick over, or have have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 18. Uh, Two-thirds of the way through the book, we're picking it up, as Amy said, from last year. And Luke is recording for us Paul's second missionary journey. Have a look at this map. Uh, This will be helpful uh, as you see the good news move from Asia to Europe. It'll also be really helpful if you're planning a trip to Europe. <laughs> do we have a map? Yes, we do. There we go. Uh, sorry, it's so small, but it, uh, Jerusalem in the bottom right-hand corner, we get your uh, bearings, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, if you're looking for Italy, it's far left. Uh, Paul started in Antioch, uh, up near Syria. He's moved across to uh, Asia or Galatia, Uh, He's gone from city to city, preaching the gospel. Uh, There have been moments where the Spirit has closed doors for him, then opened doors. Uh, You might remember earlier in Acts, he had a vision uh, and and he was spoken to. Go to Macedonia, uh, cross over into Europe, uh, go to Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. He arrives down in Athens and today we find him in Corinth, Acts chapter 18. And what's Corinth like? Uh, We know a fair bit about uh, Corinth outside of the Bible, but we also know what Corinth is about from Paul's letters in the New Testament. So Paul wrote two letters, one and two Corinthians, uh, to the Corinthian church, 
uh, later when that church had formed. Uh, and um, how would you describe Corinth? Corinth, I think you'd say, is a proud city. They're proud of their achievements, their culture, their wealth, their intelligence, their political dominance. They, they occupy a really strategic part in, in the Mediterranean Sea, right on the, on, the, on, the, um, on the water there. Proud city, but also an immoral city. A, a city where sexual immorality uh, is, is, is common, uh, where they worship the god of Venus, the, god of, of, the goddess of so-called love, uh, who had a thousand female slaves who roamed the streets at night as prostitutes. Uh, it's an immoral city. And it's this city that Paul goes to and says, Jesus is the one and only. Turn to him. Jesus is the one that you need to seek out to be forgiven. And I want to say two things from this passage this morning that brings out for us. One is the truthfulness of this account. And secondly, the pattern of Christian ministry. What's it like to be on mission with Paul? And by extension, what's it like for us to be on mission? Uh, So that's where we're heading. And once you start to see uh, the pattern of ministry that Paul's involved in, you actually start to see it's really, really important that this is actually true. The two are linked. Well, let's just start with the truthfulness of this account. Uh, let me point you to three things. Uh, it's an extraordinary chapter as we think about history. Uh, the first one is Luke's mention of the emperor Claudius uh, in verse 2. But read, read it with me from verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, that's uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Uh, See what's happened. Paul's arrived in Corinth. Uh, He meets this married couple, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, They've recently moved from Rome. Why have they moved from Rome? Uh, That's not just for a sea change. Uh, Luke records, Emperor Claudius has ordered all the Jews to leave Rome and Priscilla and Aquila are Jews. And there's nothing extraordinary about that, but it's one of those places where you realise this is picked up by historians outside of the Bible, uh, confirming that what we've got here is fact. Uh, here's a quote from the historian Suetonius. Uh, he writes a work, The Life of Claudius. Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled them from Rome. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating quote. The, the timing of Suetonius's record lines up. He records Claudius was emperor from 41 to 54 AD. Uh, Paul's in Corinth at, in 51 AD. Uh, Suetonius tells us here that the Emperor Claudius was expelling Jews from Rome. Um, that accords that Priscilla and Aquila were Jews and they were expelled. That's what, that's what Luke is telling us. And he also tells us why, in this quote, why they were expelled. It's, it's his reference to Christus. Uh, it's his spelling of Christ or Christos, the Greek uh, word, uh, Jews were arguing over, considering, debating the person of Jesus, causing a ruckus. Claudius says, out you go. Uh, And so can you see, Luke's just telling us the way things are, but it accords with history. 
Uh, what we've got here is fact. We're actually in touch with reality. This actually happened. Uh, Luke is recording for us a reliable historical account. Let me give you another example. Verse 12, uh, while Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. Notice there, Luke says Gallio was proconsul of Acacia. Uh, that is, he was the local ruler of this region. Uh, he was sitting under the emperor. They had different uh, levels of government in the Roman Empire. Um, but those local leaders weren't always called proconsuls. Um, so it's a bit like different levels of government in our nation. We've got federal, state, local. Uh, local governments, you can, they, sometimes they're called municipalities, sometimes they're called cities, the city of Wollongong, sometimes they're called shires. Um, and the leader of the local government is sometimes called a mayor, sometimes called a president, some, sometimes called an administrator uh, when someone needs to take over the council when it's broke. Um, now, critics of the Bible said for many centuries, here's an example where Luke got it wrong. Because he calls Gallio a proconsul. Here's another way where Luke doesn't know what he's talking about. Here's another example where Luke is making it up until about 100 years ago they discovered an inscription from Claudius that references Gallio and refers to him as proconsul and dates within a year of Paul being in Corinth. So... This is a picture of Gallio um, without eyeballs. Um, and here's the inscription, uh, which is completely clear to you, isn't it? Uh, but in Greek, there is the word Gallio. Uh, here is uh, Claudius reporting that he's spoken to him uh, about another matter uh, and that uh, he calls him a proconsul. Uh, this was the case for 18 months. Uh, Gallio was proconsul. It fits the time period. Uh, they were called proconsuls from 44 AD. Uh, that's when Paul was there. You had to be there. You had to know someone who was there to know that. Again, not a made-up story, historical detail, not a fairy tale. Uh, who is Luke? He's a meticulous historian writing the facts of what happened uh, in the first century. Let me give you one more. So verses 14 to 17, you, you, you heard it read out for us. The Jews get angry with Paul and they want Gallio to persecute him. But what, what does Gallio do? He says, I want nothing to do with it. He washes his hands of the Christians. You sort it out amongst yourselves. You've got a dispute. Um, you sort it out. I, I don't want anything to do with it. And in the middle of the first century, that's the exact nature uh, of the Roman Empire's engagement with Christianity. That is, they tolerated Christianity uh, as a subset of Judaism, as a spin-off of, of Judaism. Uh, you guys sorted out yourselves. You are the Jews. We're, we're tolerating Judaism. Christianity is that little sect that's attached itself or come out of it. Uh, later on, they'll realise, no, Christianity is saying much more than that, uh, is much more dangerous than that. Uh, and they'll start to attack Christians. But at this point in history, in this um, midway point in the first century, that's exactly how the Roman Empire uh, treated Christians. And so Luke's description uh, matches perfectly. Now, why do I mention all this? Um, you'll love it if you're into history. Um, but I want to encourage you 
that this is real. I want to encourage you that you, you stand on solid ground when you believe the Bible. If you're a believer of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you believe the Bible, know that you can be confident that it's real, that it's true, that it actually puts you in touch with reality, with real events uh, that you're reading. And that makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Because as hard as it is to be a disciple of Jesus, it says it's worth it because it's true. It's worth every sacrifice. It's worth persevering in. It's worth giving our all to because it's true, because it's real. Um, Can I say too, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I plead with you to check this out? Uh, It is staggering how many times I come across people who just want to write Christianity off as a fairy tale, but have never actually looked into it. Have actually never read the Bible, have actually never engaged with the academic material or the history. Please read it for yourself. Please engage. Please ask questions. We'd love to to help you with that. Um, Come along to our life series on Wednesday nights. Uh, Let us know. We'd love to help you on that journey. You're on solid ground. Now, this is all critical to my second point, uh, which is the shape of Christian ministry or mission uh, that we see is true for Paul and is true for us. And I think as as we see that unfold, you see why why it's so important that this is true and Jesus is true. So let's have a look at that together. Three things, a consequence, and then I'll wrap up with a conclusion for us. So first, first thing... Notice um, how flexible Paul is uh, in his ministry. He starts off as a part-timer, doesn't he? Uh, There he is, he arrives in Corinth. What am I going to do to support myself? Uh, He makes tents. He's a leather worker, that's his skill. He works with his hands. And he teams up with the couple Priscilla and Aquila. They're a married couple who also make tents, who also work with leather. And he does this so that he can work on the Sabbath in the synagogue, preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus. Look at verse 3. Because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But then notice in verse 5, there's something something changes where he can move from part-time to full-time preaching. So verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now what what has changed now that Silas and Timothy arrived? Well, Paul tells us in his letters to the Corinthians. He says, actually, I wanted to work with my hands. I wanted to be self-sufficient. I didn't want to be a burden to the Corinthian church. Um, I didn't want anyone to accuse me of being greedy uh, or hungry for money, as other preachers were. But then Silas and Timothy brought a financial gift, uh, which meant that I could give myself to preaching full-time. And that gift came from the Philippian church, that's also mentioned in the letters to the Philippians. So again, you see these accounts, these different letters from the New Testament, dovetailing, coming together, confirming... It is absolutely crazy, isn't it, to think that this is made up. There is every detail lining up. But back to the financial gift. Paul now is able to give his attention to preaching full-time. That's the difference that this financial gift has made. 
I don't think that's any different to today, is it? Uh, we're all involved in this enterprise of making disciples in Wollongong and beyond. Uh, it's just that some of us are full-time, uh, not needing to work making tents, so to speak, um, so that we can... I'm really glad I'm not a tent maker. Uh, I'm very bad at it. Uh, but I'm no longer working as an engineer, uh, now working full-time to make disciples for Jesus. Uh, that is only possible... Uh, because of the financial gifts uh, that come through SALT. Uh, others are working part-time, uh, part-time making disciples and part-time tent-making, uh, working in another job to make it work. And then there is a sense in which all, all of us, all Christians, are tent-makers. Uh, we're all working, uh, you're all working in your jobs for the glory of God, uh, making disciples there if you can, but there is limitations to that, isn't there? Uh, but earning a living so you might support yourself so that you might uh, contribute to the work of making disciples for the rest of the week uh, or support those who do it full-time. Well, secondly, what what does Paul do when he goes full-time? Luke uses some interesting words, doesn't he? Look at verse 4. He reasoned, he preached in verse 5, he testified. Uh, In verse 9, God wants Paul to speak and not be silent. Uh, In verse 11, he teaches. In verse 18, again, he reasoned. Can you see that? What's the common thing? What's the core activity of Paul's work? It's it's a word ministry. It's Paul speaking a message. It's Paul presenting facts, delivering the news about Jesus. And it's got to do with Christianity at, at its very heart, being an event in history. Uh, An event that you won't work out on your own, you won't work out by looking within, you won't work out by heading uh, into the rainforest. It's something happened. A man, Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh, lived among us, died in full view, took our sins upon himself, rose to life, was seen by witnesses... Uh, now reigns at the right hand of God, now sent, sent out his disciples, now gathers his church by his spirit. Christianity is a set of claims, a set of facts. It's history. And you actually need someone to tell you that, don't you? Uh, you won't work it out for yourself. Salvation comes when you believe what's happened, when you embrace Jesus as he's come to you in this message when you understand what he, who he is and what he's done. Uh, it's very simple logic for Paul. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? It's just very simple logic, isn't it? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who say that message. And so there's so many good things, isn't there, that we could be part of, and there's so many things we should be part of. Uh, The Bible speaks to us and says, do good to all people. That's what your job is as a Christian. Uh, Feed the poor, care for the sick. Uh, We saw it in Deuteronomy, don't we? To care for the foreigner, the, the oppressed, the orphan, the widow, fight for justice. Love people. But there is a core thing 
There is a central thing. There is a great thing that we must not give up. Sharing the news of Jesus, telling the news of Jesus. Saying that he is the one, the only one through whom you are to be saved. Who puts you in in contact with God, who rescues you, who reconciles you. And Paul totally gets that, doesn't he? Paul, that is Paul's heartbeat. That's what he argues for. That's what he reasons about. That's, how he, that's what he's persuading people to. This message is the precious keys to the kingdom. Uh, through this message, people will come in. Uh, these are the words of eternal life. Uh, let's, let's not lose them. Let's speak them. Uh, these are the words that will move people from death to life. Uh, these are the words that grow us as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. This is the, these are the words that build God's church. So important. And so you think to yourself, how will my family, how will my friends, my neighbours come to know God? They'll either hear the message through me or... I'll need to invite them to hear the message from someone else. Somehow they'll need to hear the message. And so let me just take a moment, just encourage you to take every opportunity to get that message to people, to invite people to hear that message, to speak that message yourself. Um, We're going to be talking more about it at Grow uh, as we come into a season of inviting people uh, to take their first steps. Take every opportunity. There's the message that brings life. But third thing, hear this encouragement from God, because we're going to need it. The third thing is the encouragement that Paul got. One night, the Lord Jesus speaks to Paul in a vision here, yeah? So Paul is getting a hard time in Corinth. He's getting major pushback. Uh, Not everyone thinks this is good news. Not everyone thinks that Jesus is great. And look at what what he's told in verse 9 the Lord says to him do not be afraid keep on speaking do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city can you imagine being that what an encouragement that would have been Um, the Lord says to Paul Do not fear, I am with you. There are people who are mine, who are yet to come forward in faith, who are in this city. Keep preaching, keep going. Uh, It has to mean, doesn't it? They're not not Christians floating around. There are no Christians. This is Paul coming to preach the gospel. It can only mean there are people God has chosen, God has elected, and they will come forward as Paul preaches the gospel to them. As they hear the good news, they'll go, yep, that's me. I want Jesus. You'll know who they are when they respond to the good news of Jesus. It's really interesting, isn't it? Predestination, that idea that God chooses, God elects, gets pushback from Christians. Um, It's a little bit strange because we think, well, God is in control of all things and it is hard to work out, isn't it? How is it that God can be in control? How how is it he can choose? And yet we're making real decisions. We need to live with that tension But people would often say, if God has chosen people, then why do I need to bother telling them about Jesus? And the Bible's answer to that is actually because God has chosen, you can have confidence that they will come forward. 
uh, that when you speak the good news of Jesus, some will move from death to life. That not it remarkable that as God chooses people, elects people, they come to life through hearing the good news through someone like us. That's amazing. Uh, it's still the case today, isn't it? The New Testament keeps t- telling us that God is the one who opens hearts. God is still choosing. No disciple becomes a disciple of Jesus without God intervening in their life and choosing them. And yet, what does Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all the nations. And I am with you to the very end of the age. There's, there's the encouragement for us. I will build my church. I will do it, but I'll do it through you, my disciple. Hebrews 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So keep going. Keep preaching, keep proclaiming. It's through you that people will come to faith in Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? Now, what's the, what's the, there are three things. What's the guaranteed consequence well, there's two consequences, two realities, two results when, we, when Paul does this. One is belief and the other is hostility. So look at verse 8. There's some really encouraging things here. Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. Um, but also, Paul copped abuse. Paul copped massive hostility. And so I think there it is. There's the pattern. Expect this to be normal. For some, this is wonderful life and news. For others, they will be angry. They will be hostile. That is a reality for Paul. That is a reality for us. Uh, in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he, he says, I came to Corinth with fear and trembling because the gospel seems weak and foolish. And I wonder whether you feel that way as you share Jesus with your friends and family and I just feel, this feels weak, this feels foolish. Paul felt that at Corinth. He looked at the Corinthians and thought they are strong, they are wise, they are proud. Uh, This message looks feeble. How am I going to tell them you are wrong? You need to turn to Jesus as king. You need to stop living for yourself and start living for Jesus as king before it's too late. Uh, You've offended God, but you can be forgiven. Turn to him. That takes courage, doesn't it? That takes confidence that this is true, this is real. And Paul is relentlessly bold, isn't he? He goes to the synagogue, he's kicked out of the synagogue and he just goes next door. He just goes and preaches there uh, in someone's home and people are saved. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable story. Well, as we finish up, what about, what about us? Um, have you noticed pushback when you speak about Jesus? Have you noticed this? Now, it could be because you are rude and obnoxious <laughs> and you need to fix that. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, it is the nature for some of us. Some of us are incredibly pushy and in, in your face and that's why people are upset with you. <laughs> Um, uh, and some of us are so timid and gentle that we really struggle to proclaim Jesus clearly and no one is ever upset with us and we like it that way. Um, One way that you'll get pushback is that you speak gently and lovingly but clearly 
about the good news of Jesus because it is offensive. And my experience is the, the, the harder you go, the clearer you are, the more pushback, the more hostility you will get. But also the more belief you'll get. Almost always the case. The softer you are, the less hostile people are, but then no one turns to Jesus. And if that's the case, then you, you really do need to have confidence that what you're believing in is true, that you're on solid ground. Um, in fact, the more you sacrifice, the more you give yourself to this work, the more it costs you, the more you need to know this is true. Uh, I remember the, the morning uh, I was working as a civil engineer in a, in a civil engineering consultancy firm that I was sitting at my desk and it was the morning that I needed to say to my boss, um, I'm about to quit and go into ministry. Uh, and it was, it was weeks before then and even months before then that I had to really seriously think, is this real? Is this true? Is this worth it? And I was convinced uh, that Jesus was real, Jesus was true, that this was worth giving my life to. And if it is real and true, then it's perfectly okay to give up civil engineering. Um, But for some people, it is incredibly costly. Uh, I remember a friend of mine who was going through the same experience. Um, So I had to tell my my parents that um, that civil engineering degree that you paid for... (laughs) uh, and that was, it was, it, there was some tense conversation, but it was okay. But a friend of mine did that. He was training in, uh, he was studying medicine. He was going to be a doctor. His father had extremely high hopes for him in his career. Uh, his father had put a lot of weight on the prestige and the wealth that his son would bring to the family. And when he told his father, I'm giving it up to go into the ministry, his father begged him not to do it. Uh, he, my friend tells, tells the story of him being in town in the city, in town hall in Sydney, and his father getting down on his hands and knees and calling his son not to do it. Um, he got a lot of heat. He got a lot of hostility. His father effectively disowned him. And it's a good story. It comes back. His father, um, I think his father became a Christian. Uh, much later. Um, But the more it costs you, the more you're going to give yourself to this, the more you need to know it's true. And do expect hostility. Um, This is the normal experience. This is the experience for Paul. This is the experience for us that you can't have everyone love you and everyone love Jesus. There will be hostility. There will be conflict. Uh, When you say not just that Jesus is Lord but Jesus is the only way. Uh, it'll be on. Uh, when, Je- when you say Jesus can save you, actually, it is only Jesus that can save you. Uh, when you say Jesus will bring you to the Father, actually, only Jesus brings you to the Father. Uh, there was a guy um, on the Central Coast that we were um, sharing Jesus with. Um, I'll call him Rakesh. Uh, he loved Christianity. He wasn't a Christian, but he loved it. He loved the community. Uh, He loved me. Uh, So surprising, isn't it? (laughs) 
Um, but he just loved everything about church, and he was he was he came to the life series. He asked lots of questions um, every week. He liked the talks at church. Um, one day, I um, just by chance, as God had worked it out, uh, I was I was in a central station going home back to the central coast. We're on the same train together. Uh, and he sat with me, and the whole trip home, like an hour and a half, he just asked me question after question uh, about Jesus. And he had quite a loud voice, um, and the whole carriage was quiet, and we're at the back, and so everyone heard the answers. <laughs> it was quite amazing. Um, and so he'd say, yeah, why, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And then I'd explain it, and the whole carriage would hear it, and... <laughs> Until a lady stood up at the back and yelled out halfway through the trip, can you stop talking about the Bible? Um, hostility. Um, I did learn later on, though, we were in a quiet carriage. <laughs> to my shame. But it was 9pm at night. And I was thinking, let's liven it up a bit. <laughs> um, anyway, what's interesting about Rakesh is that when he learnt that Jesus is the only way, when you need to trust him as your saviour and king alone, that you can't bring him in on everything else and everyone else that you want to worship, he turned away from Christianity very quickly. We never saw him again. This message is offensive. This message brings hostility and yet this message saves uh, we do need to pray, don't we? This is hard. Uh, so what do we need to pray for as we finish up? We need to pray for courage, courage to speak. Uh, we need to pray that we'd have our eyes open to what we're involved in, uh, what normal ministry is like. Pray that this message would bear fruit as it goes out from us. Um, pray that people come to faith in Jesus. Uh, pray for the people doing life at the moment on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's been awesome conversations. There are people there that are exploring Christianity for the first time. Pray for them. Uh, pray that God would use things like Salt Fest this year as we invite people in for their, their first taste of Christian things. Um, as we've prayed this morning, pray for our brothers and sisters who are in all different parts of the world speaking the name of Jesus and some in really hard parts. And let's pray for the people of Wollongong. Thousands of people that don't yet know Jesus. Thousands of people that we would love to see become disciples of Jesus. Why don't we do that now? Our great Heavenly Father, as, as we sit here this morning and sing your praises and call upon you as our Heavenly Father and know the forgiveness of sins, hope, um, confidence in, in what is true, uh, help in uh, struggles and troubles in life. We know that for so many around us, that's not their reality. Uh, so many don't know you. Uh, so many face an eternity without you. Uh, so many need to hear the good news of Jesus, uh, the wonderful forgiveness in him, uh, the beautiful Lord that he is, uh, Lord, may that message go out to them, even through us. And Father, we do pray that you'd give us courage 
Uh, We do pray that you would open our eyes to see the opportunities around us, uh, to love people deeply, uh, that they might hear this good news. Uh, We pray that people might come in large numbers across our city and across the Illawarra, uh, across our churches, that they might grow, uh, that you might do this work by your spirit. Um, and Lord, we do again commit to you this good news going out to the ends of the earth. Thank you that it's come to us. We pray that it go to the ends of our own nation, but also the ends of the whole world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.